Well, it's really good to see you all. <coughs> I want to start by wishing you a happy new year. It was really nice to meet some new faces today. It's good to see that God is working in our lives. I want to thank you all for being a part of our group today. Um, I think I've been coming here nearly eight years now, maybe somewhere along in there. And uh, it's always is a privilege and a joy to come and work with you folks because um, I know what it feels like to sit in those chairs. Um, I've had my struggles just like you. and But for the grace of God, there go I. And each and every one of you can thank God's grace for having you, pulling you safe out of the lifestyle that you were in and bringing you into a place where you can come to know him and love him and walk with him. Amen. Amen. So that's what we're going to do tonight. And the proper way to walk with him is to open his word and to study his word. That's the way that we know God is through his word. So let's open with a word of prayer. And as we open with a word of prayer, we'll be in the book of Genesis tonight. And uh, so let's go ahead and pray and then we'll get started. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this day. I thank you for this time that you've given us together. And I thank you for the privilege and the joy of being able to come and share your truth with the folks in this room. Lord, you know each and every one of us. And your word is more than capable of satisfying our every need, of supplying all of our desires, our hopes, our dreams. Everything that we need in this life is uh, it can be found in your word. And I just pray that tonight we'll do so. I pray that your word will speak to our hearts. Open our eyes, our ears, and our lives to your truth. Please, Lord, help us to receive that truth. Help us to believe that truth. And give us your strength and the willingness to walk in that truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So for those of you who are new or have not been a part of our group in a while, um, we are um, studying uh, Christ in the Old Testament. I want to take that handout that I give you. I want to do a really quick review through it because a lot of you have heard this. But I do want to review it because it's been about two months since I've been here to be with you. Now, why do we study Christ in the Old Testament? Because a lot of the Old Testament is foreign to New Covenant believers, to New Testament believers. We read all of those names and those funny numbers and those funny sacrifices and all of that weird stuff they were doing there and none of it makes sense to us, right? You read these names that you can't pronounce and you're talking about a history and a narrative that you don't understand yourself. Well, the reality is, is there is a lot of history in the Old Testament. But all of that history and all of those sacrifices and everything that you read in the Old Testament all have been given to us by God so that we can know His Son and through knowing His Son we can know Him. You see how that works? So the entirety of the Bible from Genesis to Exodus to Leviticus to Malachi to Matthew to Acts to Luke to Revelation all of it every bit of it is about Christ the Bible is Christocentric it's centered in Christ and who he is so even if you don't understand the Old Testament all the way if you will go into the Old Testament seeking to know Christ through it then the Holy Spirit will open your eyes and help you to see that. And once we begin to grasp the reality that all of the Bible is about Jesus, not just the New Testament, then we get the full um, orb or the full scope of what it is that God intends for us to know. Right. So there's the law in the Old Testament, there's the gospel in the New Testament. But the gospel is in the Old Testament too. We just have to learn how to look for it. And the way that we look for it is by looking for Christ. Now, I want you to look at the uh, uh, scriptures that I give you there. 
These are some examples of why we do this. The two passages of Scripture I'm fixing to read to you are from Jesus' road to Emmaus conversation. He had died on the cross. He was buried, and three days later he rose again. All of his disciples are scared, hiding like little girls up in a building because they're afraid they're going to get arrested and crucified. And everybody is shocked because they thought that, hey, there's our Messiah. This is the guy that's come to save us. Now he's dead. What are we going to do now? And so in all of their sorrow and all of their confusion and all of their misgivings, Jesus starts walking with these two disciples and having a conversation with them. And it was so funny in, in that passage on the road of Mace, it said um, they were talking about the things that had happened and Jesus comes walking up and, he, and he's walking with them and they look at him and they say, do you not know what's happened in these days? And the reality is he's the only one that really does know what's happened. Like nobody, everybody else is blinded to the reality that he's died and been raised from the dead, that he is, he is, uh, purchase that salvation for his people. And so Jesus talks to these two disciples and he says this. Jesus said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Now, he's in Luke 20. Uh, this is Luke 24. O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all of the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all of the scriptures. So Jesus said, don't you understand that begin, that all of the prophets that have spoken were telling you about what was going to happen to me? All of what the Old Testament prophets were talking about was all about me. Look at it again. Then beginning with Moses, where would we go to find Moses? The Pentateuch? Good. What does Pentateuch mean? First five books as well. Penta five and two books or scrolls, right? So the first five books. So Jesus turns them to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy and says, see, it's all about me. And then he says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all of the scriptures. Now, let me ask you this. Why didn't he just turn to John 3.16 and say, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Why didn't Jesus just re- refer him to John? Somebody said it. Yeah, it's going to be about 30 years before, uh, or almost 60 years before John ever puts pen to paper. So when you hear about the Apostle Paul going into the synagogues and reasoning with the Jews from the Scriptures about the Messiah, about the resurrected Christ, he's not pointing them to Philippians and 1 Thessalonians. He hadn't written them yet. He's pointing them to the Old Testament Scriptures and showing them that Christ is who He says He is through their Scriptures. Look at that next passage. Now Jesus, now so he he had that first conversation with these two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. He went to their house and it said he sat down on the table with them and he broke bread. And as soon as he broke bread, said their eyes were open and they realized who was with them. All right, what does broke bread represent? His body being broken for them, and then they realized, oh, this is Jesus, right? And what it what happens is, is now he's going to go to the disciples in the upper room. And now Jesus said to them, to the disciples, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. All right? These are my words. Now who wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? 
Moses, but Jesus is saying these are my words. What does that mean? He's God. He is God, and not only that, but His Spirit is the inspiration that inspired Moses to write what he wrote. Think about that. Who gave Moses the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai? Jesus. Jesus gave Moses the commandments on Mount Sinai. And then He inspired His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, inspired Moses to write and tell us about that. Not only that, He inspired King David to write what he wrote. Right? The Lord is my shepherd. The L-O-R-D, the Lord God. Lord is Yahweh in the Old Testament, right? So what is David saying? God is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down a green pasture. He leads me beside the But about 700 years later, along comes David's great, 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 great grandson, and he stands in front of a group of people, and you know what he says? I am the good shepherd. And I lay my life down for the sheep. Jesus grew up all of his life going to the temple and singing Psalm 23. You ever thought about that? He was a Jewish kid, he was raised Jew. And he would go and sing the song that his great granddaddy David wrote. And then one day, right before he nailed him to a cross, he stares into their face and said, I'm who David was writing about. Mm. See? So all of the scriptures are about Jesus. And when we can learn to see him in the Old Testament, just as clear, well, the only way that we can clearly see him in the Old Testament is through the Spirit opening our eyes and helping us to see it. But once the Holy Spirit helps us to see that, once we grasp that reality, then it's not dull stuff anymore. It's not just old stories. They don't mean a whole lot. It's all pointing us to the promises of who Christ was going to be when He came. Not only that, but there are also promises in the Old Testament of the day of the Lord. Well, what is the day of the Lord? It's the day that He's going to come back and judge the world. So in the same way that the Old Testament prophesied Him coming and dying and, and being buried, as Jonah was in the belly of the well three days and three nights, so must the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth. In the same way that there was prophecy in the Old Testament saying he was going to be buried for three days and rise again, Jonah actually lived it out in a living parable. In that same way, there are also passages in the Old Testament that tell us about the day of the Lord. Right? The book of Amos has a prophecy about the day of the Lord. The sky is going to turn dark and the stars are going to fall out of the sky. And all of that is prophecy talking about Jesus and his return. So we can look now, you and I can look back with hindsight with 2020 vision as long as the Holy Spirit's inspiring us to see it. And we can see the reality that God always keeps His promises. And He lets us know ahead of time what He's going to do. He warns us and lets us know. And so now when I pick up the Old Testament, I can pick it up and read. So why is it important to see Jesus in the Old Testament? Well, that's the way Jesus taught His disciples. Again, I want to emphasize to you, Jesus did not have the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and Corinthians to teach from. They were written 30 years after he left, or started starting about 30 years after he left. When Jesus taught his disciples about the scriptures, he always pointed them to Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Where is that? Just explain because number Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judge, Ruth, right? For second seven, for second Kings, for second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Ruth. All of all of that points us to Christ. And when Jesus would teach his disciples, he would teach them through the Old Testament. We should have a love just as much for the Old Testament as we do for the New. Because the Old Testament shows us who we are before Christ. And so we need to understand that Jesus taught that way. Next of all, we need to understand that the entirety of Scripture is theocentric, Christocentric. It's God-centered. It's Christ-centered. 
All right. Remember Romans 11.36 says, For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be the glory forever. Of Him, through Him, and to Him. It's all about Him. And third, Jesus is God and has revealed Himself to us through the declaration and fulfilling of His promises, His Word. He proved to be who He said He was by fulfilling the promises of the Old Testament. And we can look back now and we can see that He is the Good Shepherd. Right? We can look back and see that He keeps His promises. And if we kept His promises in the past, what does that tell us about His faithfulness? He's going to keep His promises in the future. Right? Did you know that your salvation is a promise? And if you could lose it, you would already have. Your salvation is a gift from God. It's a gift. You didn't earn it. It's an inheritance. He died so that you could have it. And it's a promise. And when I rest in Christ and His promises instead of trusting in me and what I'm doing, then I have peace. So why do we do that? Jesus taught His disciples that way. The entirety of Scripture is about Him. And Jesus is God and revealed to us through His Word that He keeps His promises. Now, how are some of the ways that we see Jesus in the Old Testament? And again, we're going to start on that right again tonight as we read the Old Testament story we're going to read. What I want you to begin to do is ask the Holy Spirit to help you to see Jesus in these stories that we read. And these are just some of the ways that we see Him. Number one, we see Him in genealogies. How many of y'all have ever read uh, Matthew, what is it, Matthew 1 and Luke 4? And so and so begot so and so, and so and so begot so and so, and so and so begot so and so, and so and so begot so and so. Right? And you get lost. You can't say them. You stumble over their names. You don't know who these people are. Right? And it's like, what is all this begotten? Right? How about God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son? But the reality is, is Jesus had to be a son of Adam because it was Adam that fell, and it was Adam that had to get us out of our troubles. The second Adam. He had to be a son of Abraham because we learned last year that God promised Abraham that through his seed, S-E-E-D, all the nations of the world would be blessed. So God promised that Abraham one day was going to have a kid that was going to save the world. Right? Matter of fact, as soon as he fell, Adam and he fell in Genesis 3.15, it said that the seed of the woman is going to bruise the seed of the head of the serpent. It said one day a woman is going to have a baby that's going to crush the serpent's head. Right? So it had to be a son of Adam, had to be a son of Abraham. And not only that, he had to have the right to the throne. And who was the king? David. And God promised David, one day you're going to have a son that's going to sit eternally on the throne. So as we read the Old Testament and we read all these genealogies uh, the, the, in Ruth. Y'all remember the story of Ruth? What's the baby's name at the end? Of, what, what was Boaz and Ruth's baby's name? Anybody remember? Elimelech? Huh? Elimelech? Uh, it's, it's, uh, is it Obed, maybe? And he was the father of Jesse, who is the father of David. What's cool about that is is that Ruth was a Moabite, wasn't she? Mm -hmm. And Jesus comes from Ruth and and, uh, Abimelech. And so it's showing us the story of Jesus' family tree. So we see him in the genealogies. That's one way we see him. Another, we see him in the prophecies. I just shared that one with you uh, uh, about Psalm 23. You don't really think of that as a prophecy. You think of that as a promise about how the good shepherd is going to take care of you. But it is a prophecy of what Jesus did when he came. 
Right? He shepherds his sheep. Uh, Isaiah 53 says, By his stripes we are healed. Well, remember that was written written uh, about 700, 800 years before there was ever such a thing called crucifixion. And it said that one day somebody's stripes are going to heal me. Mm-hmm. Right? And so all of these prophecies in the Old Testament are ways that we can see Jesus. Next we can see Jesus in types and shadows. Think of a blueprint and a building, all right? If it's raining outside and you have the blueprints to a house, they're not going to help you, are they? You can put them over the top of your head and it's going to rain and it's going to fall apart and then you're going to get wet. But if you have the house that the blueprints came, that the, the, the blueprints were the plan to make a house and you can run inside of that house, then you're safe from the, the storm, you see? And so all of the Old Testament is the blueprint for what Jesus was going to look like, what he was going to do, what he was going to accomplish when he came. And if we can see the blueprints that help us to understand the beauty of the house. All of the intricacies that can't go into making it. The cable and the wiring and the plumbing and the masonry and the woodwork. You see, it shows us the whole picture. Alright, so we see him in types of shadows. We see him in themes and we'll see that tonight. In, think about supernatural births. Alright? Supernatural births. We see him in barren wombs. Who had a barren womb? We're talking about Sarah and Abraham tonight. Sarah had a barren womb. Who else had a barren womb in the Old Testament? Anybody remember somebody else had a barren womb? Hannah, yeah. Good. And her son was Samuel, right? Who else? Who was that guy that had problems with women all the time that was really strong? Samson. Samson. His mom couldn't have kids either, could she? And an angel came to her and said, you're going to have a baby, remember? She was at a barren womb. All right? Huh? Rachel. Good. Now, here's the important question. Who in the New Testament had a barren womb? Tony, you're a good Catholic. Who had a barren womb? Yeah, she was a virgin. She couldn't have a baby. She had a barren womb. It wasn't supposed to work that way. See? But God's ways are not our ways. And God's promises overcome our natural and physical abilities. And so we see him in all of these kings and prophets and altars and sacrifices. Brothers persecuting brothers. We see him in all of those. Remember the story of Joseph? Right? He became king, didn't he? Second in the land only to Pharaoh. But he went through a lot of suffering and pain and hardship before he did. And so we can see Jesus in all of these things. And, and last of all, um, and then we got to get into our story tonight, we see him in theophanies. Remember the word theos is the prefix for what? Theology is the study of God. So theo would be the prefix meaning what? God, right? So a, a phaneru or a, a a phantom. Y'all ever heard the word phantom? That's all right. So that's a word that means appearance, right? You see a ghost, a phantom. So theophanum, theophany means an appearance of God. The Bible tells us that no man has seen God and lived. Wait. Huh? Didn't Moses see God? Huh? He, he, had, he didn't see him fully, did he? He had to turn his back. He said, no man can see me and live. Right? And the reality is, is that when Jesus came, what did he tell Thomas right before he was sent to heaven? He said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God became a man and dwelt among us. Why did he become a man? Well, Adam is the one that had to die. 
And Adam had to fulfill the covenant of works. He had to do everything that God told him to do. And when Jesus came, He clothed Himself as a man because we can't understand God. So He brought Himself to a level that we can understand. So that's what a theophany is all about. And so all through the Old Testament, we see these... You'll hear... When you read the Old Testament, go back and look, you'll see sometimes it says, an angel of the Lord... And then there's another one that says, the angel of the Lord. All right. Now when we think of angels, we think of the seraphim and the uh, 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 cherub, and we think about them covering their eyes and saying, holy, holy is the Lord. But the reality is, that is an angel. But the word angel means messenger. That's what that angelos means. That's what it means. It means messenger. What do the angels do? They come and give messages from God. Well, the angel of the Lord is the messenger. And it's a pre-incarnate, it's the, the pre-incarnate Christ. He manifested himself in such a way that we could see him and know him. Alright? So a theophany is another way that we see Jesus in the Old Testament. There's a difference in an angel of the Lord and the angel of the Lord. Alright? The host the the uh, the head of the armies of the host of heaven, right? The angel of the Lord. When Jesus comes back, he's going to be leading the charge. So that's how why and that's why we study Christ in the Old Testament, and that's how we study Christ in the Old Testament. So now let's go to the Old Testament and let's put what we've learned tonight to some use, okay? So turn with me to Genesis chapter twenty one, verses one through seven. <clears throat> that's probably all we're gonna have time to get to tonight. Unfortunately we did some reviewing there that always costs us time. But I think it's very important for us to see that. Genesis chapter 21, and we'll look at verses 1 through 7. Now, I, I do want to apologize to you all, that those of you who are not familiar with this story. Um, for those of you who have been a part of our class before, we've been building up this. If you've been here a good while, we actually started in Genesis chapter 1, so that's been a couple years ago. But if, if you've been here a while, you, you kind of know what's been going on in the story. Last time we were together, we, had, we saw Sodom get destroyed, remember? God destroyed Sodom. We learned that God is not only a merciful God, but God is a just God, and God does not uh, play lightly with sin. He hates it, all right? And so now we're going to see the story of Isaac being born. It said, then the Lord, this is Genesis chapter 21, then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. All right, so there's our story, the birth of Isaac. Now, we want to look to see if we can see Jesus in this passage. So let's start with the first thing. In the look at your handout, the ways that we see Jesus in the Old Testament. All right. Number one is what? Genealogy. Can I see the genealogy of Jesus in this passage that we just read? 
Is his family tree being represented here? Yes, very much so. I'll remind you all, y'all stay where you are. I'll turn really quickly back to, to uh, Matthew and, and share that with you. I'm not going to share the whole thing because it's a lot of begots, but we do want to get down to the bottom line. Matthew, you get there. Chapter 1. And it says, This is the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah. All right, stop right there. So right away we know that this is the genealogy of Christ. Mm-hmm. You see how that works? This is his family tree we're talking about. This is Abraham having a son, and that son's name is Isaac. All right? It says um, <clears throat> that the Lord visited Sarah. The Lord took note or the Lord visited Sarah. Now, let's think about some themes in the New Testament where we could take this theme and apply to there. God visited a woman. Yeah. How about Elizabeth before John the Baptist was born? An angel of the Lord came and told her that she was going to have a baby, right? So... We can see that theme there. Uh, that God visits Sarah. He said, and the Lord did for Sarah as He promised. What do we call it when someone gives you a promise? They give you their word. word. God had given Abraham and Sarah a promise that in a year from now, when He had met with them back in the day, He said in one year she's going to give birth to a child. And what did she do when she heard that? She was going to She laughed, right? So, in the beginning, we saw her laugh. And then look what it says down in verse 6. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. But there's a difference in this laughter here and the laughter when she was in the tent listening over on the conversation her husband was having. What's the difference in the two laughters? Yeah. One was in disbelief. She was laughing. She said, this guy's lost his mind. I'm almost 80 years old. I'm not going to have a baby. That's crazy. And now she's laughing because God kept his promise. Despite her physical inabilities, God has kept his promise. And so, uh, prophecies. We see him in prophecies. So, look at that again. The Lord took note. The Lord, he he said... And he did for Sarah. So he made a promise and he kept a promise. And a lot of the promises in the Old Testament, we do not see them fulfilled until the New Testament. So what do we call a promise in the Old Testament that is not fulfilled until the New Testament? A prophecy, right? It's spoken forth a truth that's going to take place later. All right. So we see him in that. It says, so Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. At the appointed time. Remember, God is in control of all time. And everything happens exactly when it's supposed to, exactly like it's supposed to. God is never caught in heaven pulling his hair going, oh no, I can't believe that. (laughs) Nothing catches God by surprise. Why? Because God decreed everything from eternity past. There's nothing that's happening that he didn't expect. There's nothing happening outside of his sovereign control. Even the bad things that happen in this world happen and God knows it happens. 
And God is not ever caught by surprise. It all happens the way that it's supposed to happen. And so Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Now that's very important. Why did he call his name Isaac? Does anybody know? We, we know Isaac means laughter, but why did he call his son Isaac? Maybe because she laughed twice? Well, his name does mean laughter, but Isaac is God's choice for the child. Remember when he came and made the promise? He said, you're going to have a son and you're going to call him Isaac. So God is the one that gave Isaac his name. Now, there was another son born to Abraham. What was his name? Ishmael. And who named him? Abraham. Abraham named him. So there's a difference. What we've talked about this in the past. What is the difference in Abraham? What is the difference in Ishmael and Isaac? What's the difference in the two? One outside of the promise. Huh? He was illegitimate. No, he was a legitimate child. Yeah, he was legitimate. Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham and said, "Go in there and have a kid." It wasn't the promised one. Very good. It was not the promised one. See, Ishmael represents the flesh, and Isaac represents the spirit. Abraham and Sarah and Hagar put their heads together and figured out a way to have a baby. They were going to help God out. God promised Abraham that through him all the world would be blessed. And Abraham was like, I'm 90 years old. I ain't got no kids yet. If we, if we, if we, if we or 80 years old, if, if we don't hurry up and have a kid, this promise that God made to us ain't going to be fulfilled. So I need to step in and help God. I need to do something. So what did they decide to do? They decided to have a baby. Sarah couldn't have a baby because her womb was barren. So Abraham went into an Egyptian girl whose womb was not barren. And what did she have? She had a baby. But it was a baby of the flesh. It was a baby of their efforts. Isaac was the child of promise. And what effort did Abraham and Sarah have in Isaac? None. It was a promise from God. You see how that works? So every one of us in this room are born of the seed of Abraham. I'm not. I'm sorry. No, strike that. Every one of us in this room are born of the seed of Adam. And what do all of Adam's kids have in common? Sin. Sin and, and death. We all die. Yeah. It's appointed once for a man to die and then the judgment. The one thing that we all have in common, every one of us in the room, red, yellow, black, and white, we're pressed in this side. Every one of us in this room, the one thing we have in common is that we're all going to die. And you want to know what else we have in common? You and I can do nothing to earn God's favor. You and I can do nothing to earn the promise of salvation. There is nothing that I can put my will and my works towards that will earn me God's favor, God's salvation. Why? Because anything I do is coming from Adam, from my flesh. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, do not be amazed that I tell you, you must be born again. 
Because in order to go to heaven, Adam is not going to get there. Adam does not get there without God's forgiveness, without God's grace, without God's regenerative work in his life. God made a promise to Adam, the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. Did God keep his promise? Yes. Not only did he keep it to Adam, but he kept it to all of Adam's kids. But there has always been a children of promise. There's always been those of Adam's kids who God reached down and said, Nope, you're one of mine. Yeah, you're my child. You inherit the kingdom. And it's nothing that Adam does that earns that favor with God. All Adam knows how to do is make fig leaves and hide. It's God in His grace that reaches down and says, No, I love you too much to leave you in those fig leaves. Right? I have a lambskin to cover you with. I love you, and I'm going to help you when you can't help yourself. And that's what the promise is all about. And so, when we see Isaac, we see this, this child of promise. We remember that God had made a promise to Abraham that one day he would have a child. And and so we understand that God is the one doing the work. Not Abraham and not Sarah. Every time that Abraham and Sarah or Abraham and Hagar or Isaac and Jacob or any of those that we read about there, anytime they do it on their own terms, in their own effort, in their will and in their desires, it always turns out whacked up. It's always screwed up. But one of the underlying themes of all of the Bible, besides Jesus Christ being the theme of the Bible, is that despite our sin, despite our flaws, despite our brokenness, God's promise is being fulfilled every day. Not one of his sheep will perish. That's an amazing thing to think about. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. And they know my voice and they will come and no man will pluck them out of my hand. If you're in this room today and you truly are a regenerate, born again child of God, it's because you are his child and he was never going to let you go to begin with. You are a child of the promise. The promised child we celebrated at Christmas, didn't we? But all of those he came to seek and to save are promised children. And that promise will be fulfilled in their life. It will will come to fruition in their life. Why? Because God always keeps his promise. And when I can finally get in my head that it's about Christ and not me, then I can start resting in those promises. As long as I'm making it about me, I will never rest in his promises. Because if I'm if I'm making it about me, whose strength, whose will am I relying on? Your own. own. And you're doing the same exact thing that Abraham and Sarah did. You're trying to make God promises work through your efforts and through your will and through your ways. How many of y'all here have struggled with addiction? Right. Right. Well, the problem is, is because you want to be high. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, no, I don't. I want to be sober. I want to have a nice family. I want to have good finances and, and have a real life. No, you want to be high. And the reason that we fall into addiction is because we're letting our want-tos destroy us. Our will destroy us. And if you, today in this room, right now, this very day, are sitting here depending on your will to keep you sober and to keep you away from addiction, I can promise you, you will fall right back into it. You're the problem, not the solution. Do you see how that works? Who's the solution? Christ. And unfortunately for us as children of Adam, we have to have our skulls broken before we finally start saying that maybe Adam's not such a good idea. Maybe Christ is the way to go. And so Adam has to be completely crucified on the cross with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so now I'm not depending on my willpower. I'm depending on his willpower. So I'll finish up the class with that. I want you to think about this. This is very important. So we just got, today is January the 3rd. So I'm sure that there are many of you in this room that made some things called New Year's resolution. How many of you resolved to not smoke anymore? Anybody do that? No, 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 nobody did. All right, nobody did. If you did, you probably already broke it, right? All right, all right. Let's so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna have dirty, I'm not gonna have dirty thoughts this year. I'm like, I'm gonna keep my mind clean and not lust. There's an, there's another example. Or uh, I'm not gonna get angry at people. You see, and so we determine to make these resolutions. What am I saying when I make a resolution? I will. Yeah. Or I will not. Who are, whose will are you leaning on? Your own. Your own. And your will is your want to. So the reason that people can't use willpower to stop smoking is because they want to smoke. Yeah. They don't want to die. They don't want to have lung cancer. They don't want to wake up every morning coughing and spitting up phlegm and nastiness. They don't want to smell like cigarettes, as Forrest Gump said. But they want the nicotine. They want. They like it. Mm-hmm. You see? The reason why I lust. Because my flesh is, in my flesh dwells no good thing. And if I'm dependent on my willpower to beat my lust power, I'm going to lose every time because my lust is what I want to do. So if I'm leaning on my will, I'll always fail. But if I'm trusting in your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then who am I dependent on then? I'm dependent on him. All right, so so let me show you an example of that. Turn with me really quickly over to John chapter 1, and let me show you that. We'll finish up with this. John chapter 1. Alright, let's start in John chapter 1. I know y'all, most of you are probably familiar with this passage, but I want you to look specifically at verses 11, 12, and 13. It says, He came to His own, and those who were His own did not receive Him. Alright, who is that talking about? Jesus, and who were His own? The nation of Israel. He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. Why did they not receive Him? Unbelief. But... As many as received him, 
to them He gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in His name. What does it mean to become a child of God? What does it mean to become a child of Adam? Explain that to me. Huh? To be a child of Adam just means you're born. You're born. Your mommy and your daddy got together and an egg fertilized, a sperm fertilized an egg, and you grew for nine months inside of a womb or a certain amount of time there. Then you went to the hospital and they either cut you out or pushed you out. And there's baby. You are a son of Adam. Now, what effort was involved on your part in being born? None. 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 Not one. Not one bit so ever. Your parents might have loved you and wanted you. Right? Maybe they didn't. Maybe they. Maybe you were adopted or something. But the reality is, if you were born, if you're a son of Adam and you drew breath, God wanted you. He made sure that you were born and made sure that, you know, some of us were wound up in loving home, some of us not such loving home. But the reality is, is if we have breath in our nose, if we're a son of Adam, it's because God willed that. But every one of us was born as sons of Adam. And it had nothing to do with your willpower, nothing to do with your want to. And you can't change that. All right. I know a lot of wackadoos that are running out pretending like they're wolves and horses and dogs and and women pretending to be men and men pretending to be women. Like there's a lot of crazy stuff out there on TikTok these days, right? A lot of wackadoos out there. But the reality is, is Bruce Jenner has never known what it felt like to have a menstrual cycle. Never. And he never will. Why? Because he's a man. And he can hide it. He can deny it. But the reality is he was born the way he was born. And each and every one of us in this room were born as sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. And every one of us act just like our mommy and daddy. We sin. We run from God. We cover ourselves in fig leaves and try to act like it didn't happen. Every one of us. And if it was up to my will, that's what I would constantly do. I would live my life running from God and hiding and acting like it didn't happen. But God came to Adam and said, Adam, where are you? You see? Now, what did Jesus say to Nicodemus? He said, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Adam does not have kingdom eyes. He can't see it. No matter how much you explain it, no matter how many parables you give him, no how simply you try to explain it with illustrations and with, with life examples and living it out before his eyes, he can't grasp the concept of the kingdom of God. Why? Because he does not have the eyes to see it. So what did Jesus say? If you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And that new birth is called regeneration. Is baptism the new birth? Is being dunked in water and coming out of the water or for you... uh, Potatoes in here being sprinkled with some water at the church. Does that make you a child of God? No. no. no that just makes you a wet child of Adam. <laughs> now, I'm not joking. That's that's truth. Now, is baptism important? Yes, Jesus said, go and be baptized. It, that's very important. But it's an outward expression of an inward reality. Or it means nothing. So the true baptism is when the Holy Spirit buries us with Christ and raises us again with Him in a newness of life. We are born again. We are no longer just children of Adam, but now we are children of the promise. 
and we have the eyes to see and the heart to desire the things of God. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Because if you're not born again, you're just going to act like Adam until you go in the grave. You must be born again. So all of these resolutions that we make to stop smoking and stop cussing and stop getting angry, if we're relying on Adam to help us do that, if we're relying on our willpower, we will fail every time. Now, some of, there may be somebody in this room, I don't know. Uh, uh, some of us in here, we're in the military. And we're very good at being disciplined. Are we not, Tony? Right? And there are some people that can live a very disciplined life. Mm-hmm. I can say, I'm not going to lust anymore. And never, ever, ever grope a woman. Or never, ever, ever uh, uh, be unfaithful to my wife. Cheat on my wife. But what did Jesus say? He said, if you look at a woman and lust after her, you're guilty of adultery. So it's not just your physical actions, it's your heart's desires. Because what's in your heart is who you really are. And so there are some of Adam's kids that are very good at holding, well, not many, but there are some of Adam's kids that are good at roping down some part of Adam's rebellion. But eventually it will come out on it. And God will reveal that to us. But when we become a child of God, we start acting like our Father. A child of God can pray and say, My Father who art in heaven. Right? Not my Father Adam who be hiding. But my Father who is in heaven because I'm a child of God. I'm a promised child. Now watch what it says to him. We'll end with this. I promise. He came to his own, his own people did not receive him. But to as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So look what he says. To all of those that received him, how do we receive him? very true but remember it's not what you do but what God does so he in this passage what did he do he sent his son he took the first step in the garden he said Adam where are you now he already knew where Adam was but he reached out to Adam and had Adam stayed in those bushes and kept his mouth shut and tried to hide God would have left him there wouldn't he But when God reaches out to his child, his child responds to his father. To those who receive him, to those who believed on his name, Mm -hmm. he gives them a right. So what comes first, the receiving or the believing? To those who received him, to those who believed on his name. So without receiving him, I will never believe. You are saved by grace. You're saved by grace through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, I want you to go back and look at that passage again in Ephesians, and I want you to think about what it's saying, because what it's saying is our salvation, our faith, and the grace that brings it are all three gifts from God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. 
if I stand before God on the final day and He says, why should I let you into heaven? And you say, because I believe in you. He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Because what you have done is you have turned faith into a work. I did it. We stand, we fall before His feet and say, it's because you loved us and sent your Son and He died on the cross and purchased my salvation for me. And He sent His Spirit and changed my heart and I'm your child. I have your promise. It's not about what I do. It's about what He promised. It's not believing in me. It's believing in Him. You see? And look what it says. As many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood so Abraham, Isaac, Jacob that's all blood remember what Jesus told the Pharisees they said we are Abraham's children who is your dad Abraham is our father and he said if you were Abraham's kids you would act like Abraham you would believe me, believe me and follow remember what he said to them so look what he says to those who received Him, He gave the right to become children of God. To those that believe in His name, those who are born not of blood. So even if you're in this room today and your mommy and your daddy, maybe your dad's been a deacon at church all his life and your mom played the piano at the local assembly for 40 years. Maybe she taught Sunday school and your mom and dad are the most godly people you know. They did not pass their godliness on to you through your genetics. All they passed on to you was your anger, wrath, envy, strife, jealousy, heresy, sedition, drunkenness, and carousing. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, and long-suffering are all gifts of the Spirit, not of the flesh. So he says they were born not of blood. Your parents can't give it to you. Nor of the will of the flesh. So you can't just wake up one day and decide to, to love God like you quit smoking. You're not going to quit smoking and you're not going to love God. Because our flesh is at complete enmity with God. It wants nothing to do with Him. It's an utter rebellion against Him. So, born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. What is the will of the flesh? Your want to. That's what you make your resolutions with. That's not what saves us. Nor the will of man. I'm a pastor and I love you guys. And if I could wrestle you down on the ground and pin your ears down to the floor and make you believe in God right now, I would. If pouring wine and bread down your throat and dunking you with 600 gallons of holy water could make you a child of God, I would bring the water truck in here tomorrow and soak you all. I can't save you. Your parents can't save you. Your family praying for you can't save you. You can't save you. It's not the will of a man, but the will of God that saves us. So if you're in this room today, you are a child and you are truly born again. You are truly a child of God. Then know that it was not by anything that you did. And that will be a comfort. Because it's God who gave you His promise. You received it. You believed it. And you have it. And He'll never let you go. It's about what He does, not what you do. Now, there may be somebody in this room. I cannot look into a single heart in this room. But there may be somebody in this room today who has clothed themselves in fig leaves. And they look like 
singing and praising and praying and talking the talk and reading their Bible all the time and doing devotionals and being the most holy one in the room. But the reality, if it's fig leaves that are covering your unrighteousness, it will be exposed. Right? Those addictions that we all struggle with and fought with in our lives, they were exposing who you really were. And what did Jesus say? Repent for the kingdom of the hand. Turn away from sin and self. Turn around, turn away from your want to's and turn to Christ and his love for you. He has never said no to anybody. But he'll never say yes to those who say no to him. Right? He loves you. And that promise, who's that promise for? Anyone who will receive him, anyone who will believe him. And I'll finish with this. I know I said that five minutes ago, but I'm a Baptist. We do that a lot. This last this is the last thing I promise. Do y'all know how do you know how the Bible teaches us that on the, the final day, on judgment day, that the angels are going to come and and separate the, the sheep and the goats? Well, that's very true. On Judgment Day, those who are true believers and those who are not believers are going to be separated. That's going to be very apparent to everybody. You won't be able to hide anymore. You'll either be a child of God or you'll be a child of perdition. But the reality is is that every man and woman that goes around and shares the gospel today is playing the role of an angel. What did I tell you an angel was? A messenger. And what is the message? The kingdom's at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Turn away from your sin and self and turn to Christ and you will be saved. And in the same way that on the last day the sheep and the goat will be separated, the gospel is doing that today, isn't it? The gospel is going out and his sheep are going to do what? Hear his voice and come in. And the goats are going to flee. So what are you? If you're a sheep, thank him. Thank Him for loving you and dying for you. And if you're in this room and you're not sure and you're worried about it, well, that's a good thing because that means God is still at work in your life. You know whether you're a child of God or not. And if you're not, repent. Believe the gospel. Stop depending on yourself and depend on Him. Amen? Father, thank You for this time we've had together tonight. Thank You for loving us enough to give Your promise to us. I do pray for every man and woman in this room. For all of those that hear this message, I do pray that you will work in our hearts and help us to test ourselves to make sure that uh, whether or not we're in the faith. Help us to know that your promises are so real and so true and that your son Jesus is the center and, and the focus of all of those promises. Help us to receive him. Help us to believe him. Help us to, to walk with him. And, and just as importantly, help us to share his love with others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.